Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. What if you knew that the promise of something greater, something that would surpass all of your expectations, existed? Would you dare believe it? What would you sacrifice for it? We're in a series titled Sand and Stars, a look into the life of Abraham and living a life of great faith. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. There you can find all our video messages as well as exclusive content you can't find anywhere else. Now, let's get into this week's message. I want to introduce you to Heath Cadell. He is the pastor of Leland Community Church in Leland, North Carolina. His wife, Jody, and he have been married 21 years. Correct. Has three children, 17 years old, 15 years old, and 10 years old. He's known Pastor Jimmy for about 20 years. He's got some stories he can probably tell us. (laughs) Yeah. After service. Yeah. Yeah. Can't record it. Yeah. That'd be silly of me. Uh, You you preached here, how long ago was it? A couple Uh, years? uh, years? Yeah, probably three years ago. Three years ago. So he preached at Grace Life over in the other building about three years ago. So just welcome Heath to, with us today. He's, gonna, he's got a word for us. It's going to be good. So open your ears up, your spiritual ears, and let's let God speak to us, okay? All right. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, like Kent said, my name is Heath. Uh, it, one little correction, it's uh, Reach Community Church, just in case you look us up. Uh, planted uh, Reach Seven years ago, uh, September will be seven years, uh, and this morning um, I've left it in the hands of other people, which is awesome, because I have a great team. Uh, So let me just give you a little, um, I'm going to brag on your pastor a little bit, because I have known Jimmy uh, way before any of you have. Um, I knew Jimmy when Jimmy wasn't Jimmy. Let me just tell you, the version of Jimmy that you have right now is amazing, you may not know that because this is the only Jimmy that you know, but like I, I love Jimmy. I wouldn't drive all the way down here to Columbia just so I could preach three services if I didn't love someone because three services, we have one. So you're going to get the best because I'm used to doing one, two, and three. It's up in the air. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but I, I love your pastor. Um, your, your pastor um, is the one that started me in ministry. I can literally say I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have led a student ministry for nine years. I wouldn't have planted a church in Leland, North Carolina, uh, if it wasn't for the encouragement uh, of Jimmy Currents. Uh, so uh, your pastor's reach is not just in here. Uh, he gave me a prophetic word uh, like 16, 17 years ago that I would be the youth pastor uh, at our church before I even started volunteering. So be careful when Jimmy comes up to you, just never know what he's going to tell you. So you guys have been in a series um, called Sand and Stars about this guy, and I'm going to be like Jimmy and say, I'm, I'm going to struggle. You're going to hear me say Abraham, other, uh, even though right now in the section of scripture I'm going to be covered, he's called Abram. Uh, he hasn't had his name change yet. But you've been looking at this idea that God has invited us into his story and that we all have parts to play in that story. As children of God, God calls us into something, uh, maybe not as grand as Abraham, but he calls us into something that it still needs to be done to see the purposes in the kingdom come. And you've seen all of these things happen as we play out that story that there's lots of things that can come against that promise that God has spoken over you. 
Can I get an amen? I mean, there's so many things in and around us that can literally rob us, like our failures, like the hard things that God calls us to do. And if you're anything like me, today uh, is a struggle, to be completely honest with, with you. People uh, can either help or hinder you in walking into the promises of God. And let me just, confession of a pastor, I don't know that I would, well, my church knows me, so they know this, but I, I want people to like me. You know what the most dangerous thing for a pastor to have in his, you know, uh, his identity is that he needs people to like him. It's trouble. I'm concerned if you guys are going to like me. Like, I want you to like me. And like, I say that and some people are going to come up afterwards and be like, you did a great job. But like, I don't need you to like me like that. Just, you know, I want you to laugh and I want you to like me. But the danger in that is that we can literally, if you're like me, you can literally let people rule your life. I lead a church and, and there's things that I'm going to do as the pastor of my church that some group of people isn't going to like. They're just not. And over the last three weeks, I've encountered lots of those things that either decision and ha the decision has to be made in, in certain things, either decision that I make, any way I decide, A or B, right or left, someone's not going to be happy. And it, it tears me up inside, so much so that literally preparing for this message, God's had to deal with my identity in him, period. We've been in a series right now talking about this idea that what we think is going to determine what we do. It's the same thing with people. We're going to have to make a choice to trust God over people. And sometimes we're going to make hard choices. Let me give you a little background on me. I got saved in 1994. I was 18 years old. I just graduated from high school as a part of a, 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 a group called Young Life. Do y'all know what Young Life is? Okay. Part of Young Life. I uh, went to a camp after my senior year. I'd been dating this girl for uh, a year and a half. She was the love of my life. I'm not married to her, so don't like... That's not Jody, um, but she was my world, my first girlfriend, like everything like was going great. We go to camp in the middle of the week. She dumped me. I could take you to that place at Saranac Lake and say, this is where my life began. <laughs> And uh, literally at the end of camp, they did a great job of presenting the gospel. And I'd been in church my whole life. I'd been in and around the gospel, I'd heard the gospel, but the gospel had never penetrated me. It had just been a cultural, religious thing. It was not a relationship, and at the end of that week, in July of 94, I said yes to Jesus. I let Jesus enter into my world. I gave Jesus my world and said, I, I want it to be your world. I, I literally came back from that and, and said, you know, God, I, there's some things I, I need to change. I was 18 years old, and I was doing, I was making some bad choices. I had friends that were making those bad choices with me, and one of the hardest things that I had to do, and one of the other reasons why I'm at where I'm at today is because I said goodbye to some of those friends. In hindsight, in the moment, it was the hardest thing that I had to do because they were my world. They were the ones that I spent time around. They were the ones that fed my identity, like, because this is who we were, and we did these things together, and, and I could no longer do those things together because I had this thing called the Holy Spirit inside of me going, no, 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 no. 
And so I moved on from a lot of my friends, the hardest thing I've ever done. And I, I saw, I can see now, I'm 43 years old. This has been a long time ago. Almost 20, July will be 25 years this summer. And I saw decades of my friends' lives destroyed in addiction and poor choices because they didn't, one, say yes to Jesus, but they surrounded themselves in that community. And so fast forward a few years after that, I was a youth pastor uh, at Grace Church in Southern Pines where Jimmy came from. And, and every year we went to camp and every year, almost like my experience, kid would, kids would be drawn into this like this transformation. Like it's like it's right there. They would literally be on the cusp of jumping into the things of God. I mean, literally right there, they would be telling me that. Like, and I had this one kid, I, I loved him. I have, like I had several of his siblings. I've, I'd known him since I moved there when he was in middle school. And he was in that culture of making some really bad decisions. And I remember a conversation that we had on a Thursday night at a camp called War Cry, which they don't call it that anymore, but we were sitting beside each other and literally he was telling me that he knew that God had brought him to this place and is asking him to make a decision. And he knew that his decision in being obedient to Christ, the following Jesus, that he would have to say no to his friends. And literally, I'm not lying to you, he chose his friends over Jesus. Because he told me, he said, my friends don't have anyone else. If, if I leave them, they won't have a good influence, <laughs> which is hilarious because he wasn't a good influence. And today he loves Jesus. But, but 12 years of addiction, I mean, like literally addiction, like suffering, poor choices, because he chose friends over a savior. People will help or hinder the promises. And I believe God had written that in his heart then. I, I believe God had called him in there and, and today he's doing great. I, I love him. Uh, I love hearing what God's done with him. And, and honestly, as a youth pastor, at some point you just have to trust what God's going to do in and through them. But I would have loved his story not to have wasted 12 years. Think of the impact. Think of the influence. Think of the culture change. Think of the things that he could have done in and through the kingdom if he would have said yes to Jesus and no to friends or some friends. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says it like this. It says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. It will. I don't care how strong you are. You will tell me, like, but I, I, can, I can do it. You can do it. You cannot. I, without a good, and I'm not talking about outreach, like don't ever, you know, like talk to people that are, you know, but I'm talking, I'm talking about core. I'm talking about people that are in your life, investing in your life. You cannot surround yourself by people that are constantly dragging you into things that are gonna compromise what you believe, which is gonna soil you so that you then begin to distance yourself from what God has called you to. You can't. And let me just stress this, it's not just bad company. Even well-meaning, misguided people can pose a danger to the things that God is calling you to. You may have heard this, especially if you've 
You've kind of jumped into a big thing that God's called you to do. Would God really ask you to do that? Eight years ago, God called me to plant a church. I had never, I'd never wanted this role. Never. I mean, youth pastor, yes. Lead pastor, worrying about lights being turned on. Like, it freaks me out being in a building like this because I'm like, someday we're going to build. Like, this seems stressful. Because <laughs> you're the lead guy. You have to make all those decisions. But even well-meaning people can soil that. And so like, I really felt God called me out of youth ministry into planting a church, which I didn't want to do into a beach community, which you may be like, oh gosh, he lives at the beach. No, I hate the beach. My, my, my forehead is burnt because I was at a track meet yesterday for my daughter had her state's track meet and I don't like the sun. Give me an umbrella and a nice breeze and I'm happy. But like, I don't like sun. Like my wife and I met at Appalachian State where your pastor went to school, yeah, yeah. Um, and we love the mountains. So when we were praying about the where, we were hoping that it would be somewhere a little higher up in elevation. <laughs> the point is, is God has the right to call you wherever he wants you to call you. And God called me to this city that I'd never heard of before, brought it to my attention. And so there was a really, I wouldn't say a good friend of mine, but there's a solid believer out of our church um, that I was coming out of in the Wilmington area. And so if I called him, just like I'm trying to make connections with people down in the area prior to moving down there. And I called him and he had already heard the news. And I was like, great. And so I'm talking to him real nervous about this because like I still feel awkward about like I'm going to be planting a church. And, and this is what he said, <laughs> to me on the phone. I won't tell you his name. He said, just what Wilmington needs, another church. <laughs> well, it wasn't Wilmington. Um, that's why I went to Leland. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> But, but literally, I'm, I'm thinking, like, this is a believer. This is a guy who believes in the kingdom and the gospel and the need for people to say yes to Jesus because I don't care. I live in the South also, and I understand that there's churches on every corner, but I also understand that there's a lot of people, a lot of people that don't know Jesus in and around those churches. So church, the amount of churches doesn't scare me. I was number seven of church plants in my small city. There's two more since me, and we're doing all right. Like, I'm not afraid, like, so we have this big kind of mega church put a site right before we launched in, in Leland, and somebody was like, oh, are you all right with that? I'm like, yeah. Like, should I be upset about that? Should I move somewhere else? No, like, God's called me here to reach the people that I will reach through our church. And so you got to be careful of allowing those people to thwart you, because that really, at the wrong moment, could have really, I mean, it hurt me. Like I got off the phone with him and I felt like someone just punched me in the gut and I was like, I was hoping for this guy to go, yes, like you can do this. And he's like, hmm, just what our city needs, another church. Well, today in the life of Abram, we're going to look at how people, specifically his nephew Lot, can distract you and rob you from walking out the purpose that God has given you here on earth. And so we're going to be in uh, Genesis 3 for a section of it in uh, Genesis 14. Sorry, Genesis 13 and Genesis 14. And we're going to look at how people, because Abraham, if you remember, Abraham got a call. Sorry, I'm used to moving around and I feel like I'm going to go off that screen, <laughs> making you work. 
I just see myself, it's weird. And so like, I know Abraham got a call. He said, hey, you need to leave, which I, you know, I know they talked about this, but in their culture, leaving the family was like, I mean, that, that was the worst thing you could do because they were your family. They were where your, your, your heritage is gonna come from. That was, that was your support system. That was everything, and God spoke to. And what's crazy about this, and I know you talked about this earlier, but there wasn't this. There was no Bible. Like, literally, Abram had a conversation with God, and not because of past tenor. Like, my grandmother went to that church. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know who God is. Like, literally, God had a conversation with Abram, and said, go, and he went. And God began to make promises to Abraham, and you see him struggle through that. And what we're going to see today is that Abraham allowed his nephew to distract him from the purposes that God has called him to. So in verse 5, chapter 13, it says, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks, and herds and tents, and so, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Verse 7, it says, And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of life, Lot's livestock. And at the time of the Canaanites and the Perizzites uh, were dwelling in the land, then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Because there was strife. There were too many in one place. And look what happens in verse 9. It says, is not the whole land before you? This is Abram, to Abram telling his nephew Lot, look at this whole land before us. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. See, God had called him to go and God was leading him. And here he gives Lot, which he shouldn't have given. You know, in this culture, the elder person in the family is like the patriarch. They're the ones that leads. And he gives Lot, his nephew, kind of like, hey, wherever you go, I'll go the other way. And he's letting Lot determine where he goes. It was not Lot's call to make. <laughs> See, we don't let other people determine our steps. When God has spoken to us, we don't let other people determine where we're going to go because there was a lot of people that would, like I had conversation after conversation about people telling me the best pay, place to plant a church. Oh, you should go to, you know, here. Everybody had a town that I should go to, and they were normally somewhere that I had no idea where it was. I mean, there were big city towns, like right on the outside of a big city, like you should go here. I had churches telling me where to go, and I could have allowed their influence, because I had people telling me, why would you go to Leland? Leland is a little, small town. Why not go to a bigger city where you can influence more people, where you can have a, a bigger pool to be in. And let me just tell you that when God tells you to go somewhere, when God gives you a promise, when God directs you somewhere, you've got to trust his logic and not others. Because I would have not landed in Leland if I'd have listened to every single person who told me like where I should go and why I shouldn't go there. Because 10 years before we moved to Leland, Leland was nothing. I mean, literally it was farmland, marsh, and trailer parks. There was, there was nothing there. 
And right now, Leland, Brunswick County, where we're at, is the fastest growing county in North Carolina. Why? Because Wilmington is landlocked. And we're a bedroom community, so families come over and live in Leland, our area. And see, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that if I was going to go somewhere, if God was going to call me somewhere, I need it to be known by me, and I need to be firm in that. See, I'm not going to put my promise in the hands of other people. Once God has spoken it, I'm not going to let someone else determine where I should go. Because let me just tell you, they're not going with you. They're not going to do it for you once you go to the place that they determine. They're going to sit in the background and go, yeah, that was a mistake. Shouldn't have gone there. Verse 10. And said, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt uh, in the direction of Zor. This was before Lot, sorry, the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You might have heard of these cities. You'll see this a little bit later on. And we see the dilemma of Lot being, you know, here, here's, the, here's the next danger, not only people, but we trust our eyes. Like Lot looked out there and go, man, I'm going to go to where it's green because I've heard. So I need them fed and watered. So why not go to the green place? So they go to the green place. He goes to where it is beautiful. He isn't asking God. He just goes to what his eyes think are good. And we know later on that that is trouble for him. So in verse 11, so Lot chose for himself the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east and thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled, Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. And we know what this gets him later. When we trust our eyes, it will get us into loads of trouble. When we trust, I'm telling you, the things that God calls you to won't always make logical sense. Now, they need to confer with this. God is not ever going to call you to do something that is contrary to his word. Now, we need to clarify, and I think Jimmy even preview. There's a verse, I mean, a series coming up a year from now, so you can learn to hear all of those things. Listen to what God is calling you, but once God has called you to those things, you need to be firm. Okay, Genesis 14, verse 11. So what's leading up to here? So this has happened. They've separated. Lot has gone close to Sodom and Gomorrah, and then these, this war happens. All these kings get together, and they decide, you know, five of us, and Four of them, we're going to fight each other and see who's going to win because we want more territory and all these other reasons for them fighting. And so they fight. In the area that Lot's in, they lose. And so in verse 11, it says, And the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of their provisions, and they went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. There's this battle between multiple kingdoms, multiple kingdoms. And one of them wins, carries off its loot and lot. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> just made that up right then. That will be in second or third, so you just got something that they're not going to get. <laughs> Uh, 
they took Lot also, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possession, and someone escaped from this. So someone witnessed this, saw Lot get taken, and he leaves, finds Abram, and tells Abram in verse 14, it says, and when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born of his house, a great army of 300,000. That's not what it says, right? A great army of 308, 18. You know you don't have that many of an army when you, you got the like, you're not rounding up or down either way. You're like, no, 3,000. We got 318, no, 19, 17, eight, 19, 18, 318. And they went in pursuit as far as Dan, and he divided his forces against them by night. This is the winning, now I don't know how many it was, but it was five kings, I believe that party was. And he went against the forces, uh, them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobath, north of Damascus. Verse 16 is, then he brought back all the possessions. So he, he gathered everything that they have stolen, including the people. And he also brought back his kingsmen Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. In the verse 21, and it says, in the king of Sodom, so he's coming back with this victory with all the people that he's rescued, all the um, loot that he's um, brought back, and he brings this back. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. And it doesn't really talk about this, but one of the persons that he gets back, which we see this a little bit later, because where was Lot when the angel of the Lord came to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? He was in the city square. He was a leader in the city square, judging people. So give us the people. So Abraham went out to rescue his kinsmen only to give them back into the people that later is going to bring chaos to him. Verse 22, it says, But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours. Least you say that I have made Abram rich. So he collects all this and the king of Sodom is like, hey, just give me my people back. You can keep all of the stuff that they've taken. And Abram's like, nope, nope. You can have everything. The only thing that I'm going to keep is what my, my, my people ate during that. And that's it. We're, we're, we've rescued our kingsmen. So he's literally spent all this. If he would have led his nephew Lot and told him, hey, I don't, I don't think it's good for you to go over there. I think it's good for you to go over here. And so he's had to then rescue. He's had to potentially end his promise by getting killed in battle, chasing after his nephew Lot, who settled near a city that was even said, <laughs> Sodom was wicked, great sinners against the Lord. He settled near that. So he, because of Lot's decisions, has had to chase Lot down, rescue him, and bring him back. And Abram's going, no, there's no one other than the Lord that's going to claim the victory for what God has done in and through me. So he gives him all the stuff back. 
And then you know what happens? Look, look at this. And this isn't in my text. I'm going to give you a, a little extra. So in 15, so Abraham is still working out. I mean, he's being distracted from the promises of God. He, he's being delayed in what God's doing in and through him because he's having to rescue Lot and he's, having, he's letting Lot make a decision for him that he shouldn't have. But he's being faithful and trusting in God, not in the sight of what looks good, but he's like, hey, God, I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. I want you to be the one that does this. And we know that Abraham makes a few mistakes. His mistakes aren't over. But right after this, right after this obedience, God clarifies how he's going to do what he's promised him. Right after this is where he literally says that he will make your very own son because he's having this argument of going, what's going to happen? I'm going to have to give it to my kid. Like someone else is going to get my inheritance. Someone else is going to give this. And, And God speaks to him, your very own son. Look, I'm telling you, God will clarify when you walk in obedience, look, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pre-warn you. If you're, if you're new to this thing called Christianity, if you're new to this obedience of following Jesus, you don't get everything up front. Let me just pre-warn you. You're not gonna get everything that's gonna happen. You're not gonna get a roadmap. I mean, it'd be nice, but we would screw up the roadmap. I'm just telling you, we, we would. Better focus on today. And, and so we need to understand that in this, that God will bring clarification. I have a book that I wrote down things leading up to the plan of my church that I have to go back to and go, yes, this is when you spoke clearly. The most audible voice I have ever heard happened to me right before we decided where we were going to plant. I was walking uh, down the beat. We had went to go pray over the city and it was horrible. Let me just tell you, like you ever think like you're going on a journey for God and like the heavens are gonna open? Oh, and like, I mean, you just think like, and it was cloudy and rainy. We're like, God's gonna part like the whole drive down there. It's gonna be raining on this side, raining on that side, but the sun's gonna be shining. We're gonna get there and we're gonna meet people that are gonna like, you know, the man of peace. We're gonna meet those people. It didn't happen. And I was angry. I was literally walking down the beach like, big fat baby. This was like like eight years ago. So you could say like, I was a young man. I didn't know any better. I knew better. And so I was really wanting God to clarify. I knew he wanted me to plant a church. First thing he told me. I, I knew that that's where God was leading me. But I didn't know where. And I, I knew that I was not going to plant somewhere without him telling me the place. And so I'm, after I'm pouting and I feel like the Holy Spirit convicts me of pouting because you know pouting to God is okay, but at a certain point you need to go, God, I trust you. You see that with David. He pouts all the time in Psalms, but he'll get to that point of going, but I trust you. And I asked God, I said, I just need to know. And the most audible voice I've ever heard, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, this is what I created you for. And I'm like, speak to my wife, because <laughs> it's, 
it's great. Like I want us to be on board together. And so like, I, you know, I get my little like happy walk on the way back and we get to the car and our, our oldest with, is, was with us. And I'm thinking like, she, her life, she's gonna write in her journal and one day she's gonna write a book about this moment. There'd be no books written about that moment for her. <laughs> At least not the ones that I want to be written. Um, and, you know, so we get back to the car and I'm like, hey, hey, hey. She was like, did you hear something? I was like, well, yeah, kind of, yeah. And I said, how about you? And she's like, nope. And I was like, and really, I sh- shut down for like five minutes. Like, okay. Literally, I couldn't trust. And, and, and long story short, uh, there was something. God played a song for any of you Kenny Loggins fans out there. <laughs> if, you, if you know who Kenny Loggins is, just Google it. It will be a good afternoon for you to check it out. But there's a song. She asked God the same thing. Like, God, is this it? And this song started playing her, in her head. This is it. Anybody? Okay. Just Google Kenny Loggins. This is it. And watch the whole thing. Make sure it's like, a, like an original. Don't like do a remake. Look. Oh, it's amazing. We don't own Kenny Loggins CD. We weren't listening to This Is It on the way, <laughs> the way there. I don't know why the song played in her head, but like literally God began to open that door over and over and over again. We got home, felt 100% God had called us to this city, and there was trial after trial leading us to that place that could have easily disrailed us or derailed us, but I had these promises that I trusted over anyone else their, their words or their actions or the people that I call and say, just what Wilmington needs, another church. So let me give you a few things that I think you're going to have to do. Like if you want to be obedient, to Christ, obedient in this walk, if you want this walk to not be easy, but you want it to be purpose-filled, there's a couple things that I think you're going to have to do. Like we said at the beginning, people will either hinder or help your walking in the promises of God. So what does that mean you're going to have to do? You're going to have to do one of two things. You're going to have to eliminate some of your friend circle, potentially. You may have awesome friends, but some of you in this room, I guarantee there's enough people in this room that you have stupid friends. <laughs> and if you don't get rid of some of those stupid friends, let me, okay, a little side note here. This is not talking about getting rid of your spouse. Let's go ahead and let's, like, let's caveat that, not what I'm talking about. You know, don't elbow person beside you. You're going to have to eliminate some of those people because some of those people are going to be whispering in your ear, would God really ask you to do that? Would God really ask you to not date for a season? Would God really ask you to, to do this? Would God really ask you, even in struggling financially, to give Would God ask you, if you don't have those right people around you, they will distract you, not even distract you, they'll pull you into things that will cause more damage than good. See, we don't let other people determine our steps and we do not put your promises or our promises into the hands of other people. So we're going to have to eliminate some of those people from our life. It will not be easy. And see, on the other side of that, not only are we going to have to eliminate, but we're going to have to add. I'm, I, the, the reason why our church is called Reach Community Church, I, I 100% agree that if you don't have community, good, healthy community, you will not make it. There, there is, if you attend here on Sunday morning and leave here and have no fellowship outside of this, you will not survive. Period. And so you've got to find places in your life that you can surround yourself by people that are going to push you in the direction that God has called you to. And there's lots of ways that you can do that. One of those is community groups. 
You might call them small groups here. What do y'all call them here? Connect groups? Groups? Groups. Let's just call it groups. Let's simplify. Finding people that literally, I'm telling you, you sir, I've got a group of like three or four guy friends that have literally shaped and molded me over the last 20 years. Literally shaped, and, and if I didn't have them, I wouldn't be me right now. Uh, another thing, um, you have a, I'm gonna, a little plug. Uh, any, any F3 people in this room? No one's ever heard of F3. Okay, F3 is a men's fellowship group that works out real early in the morning. Started working out with them about two years ago. Uh, you get a dumb nickname. Mine is Snickers because my name is Heath. <laughs> Candy bar. But literally, their, their po- point and purpose is to create small workout groups for the invigoration of male community leadership. And, and their, their, their strive is to get men together that are deciding that I'm not going to just settle for my world just being about me, that I'm going to let my world be about those outside of me. And so you fill your life and your world with people that are going to push you forward. You cannot. when, When God calls you, not everyone in your life is going to go with you. So if you're recent, I I think, um, I I don't know if y'all broadcast this, but I think 100 people have been said yes to Jesus since January here at Grace. 100 people. And let me just tell you, if you're one of those 100 people, you need some people around you that are going to build you up. You need it. Like, I know they have a guest services table out there. Just go up to the guest service table and say, I need people. I don't know what that means. I don't even know. He said, I don't know what group he was talking about. But, like, I need people because you're not going to get to where God wants you to be without community. You have to have it. And so let me, let me, let me go here. We talked about three weeks ago the promise that Abraham got. And some of you may be sitting in this room and here I'm talking about planting a church and you're like, man, I don't know that God's really called me to do anything. I, I don't know what that looks like. I haven't had that. Like I spent years and years, so 25 years of saying yes to Jesus. I've been in ministry like 17 of those. The first seven, I was just there. Felt that call but didn't know what to do with it, didn't have clarity in that promise. So let me just tell you this. If you, if you don't have your promise yet, here's a challenge. If you don't have that, like, this is what God's called me to do. This is who I am. This is what I exist for. If you don't have that promise yet, what are you going to do to put yourself in a place to hear it? What are you going to do? Because just continuing to binge on Netflix, there's not many answers that you're going to get out of a show. And I'm not against watching TV, okay? But let me just tell you, some things are going to have to change in your life to hear the promise of God. You're going to have to change things in your life. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And we know that, like some people like immediately begin to say that. And we know that as soon as I say it, oh yes, that is insane. But we do it every day. We don't change anything of our life and expect that God's just going to, like he's going to part the heavens. Why? And then you think, why is he not parting the heavens? Does he not like me? 
He loves you, but he loves you enough to not allow you to stay where you're at. And so if you want a promise, the first thing that you have to do, the first thing that you have to do is to surrender. The promises that God gives are for his children. And if you're not a child of God, you don't have a promise. You can't read these words and and claim them as your words if you've not surrendered to Jesus, if you've not said, he is my king. And here's the thing, I, I don't know you guys. You guys may never see me ever again. But I can tell you that I spent 18 years in and around church, and if you had a conversation with me in the hallway, I would tell you that I loved Jesus and was saved. And I wasn't. I was culturally Christian, but I wasn't surrendered. He had no part of my life other than where I found myself on Sunday morning. And so if that's you this morning, that's never going to satisfy you. It's never going to bring you to that place. And if you want to get there, you have to surrender. You have to say, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. I'm gonna trust you above all others. I'm gonna trust your words above all others, but it has to begin with you surrendering. So if that's you this morning, The easiest thing that you can do is begin a relationship with Jesus. The hardest thing you can do is working to the end of that, finishing the race like Paul said. It is gonna be work, but I'm telling you, you, you've got a church family here that is ready to help you get there. And so if that's you this morning, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And there's nothing special about this prayer other than you surrendering, you acknowledging that I need Jesus. So if that's you, I'm gonna pray, pray with me, and then we'll close. Dear Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that without you, I have nothing. But with you, I have the option for everything that you promise. And I acknowledge right now that I've tried to save myself and it didn't work. And I wanna trust you right now for your son's finished work on the cross. I trust that he's done for me what I could not do for myself. And I surrender my life to you. And Lord, right now I ask you that you would open my eyes and my heart and my mind to you so that I could know you and experience you and live my life dedicated to the only thing that matters, the kingdom that you are moving forward. So help me this morning be your son and your daughter that obeys your words. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.